0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC. Um, well, my name is Jannie Martin, and um, I've had Boston Terriers since um, about 2006. Um, prior to that, I actually uh, trained and showed horses. Uh, and we had a couple of boxers over the years, um, you know, a couple of mixed breeds, and um, But when uh, when we moved, we ended up uh, placing all of our horses, and then eventually, when we got our own house, uh, you know, we wanted to get a family dog, and the Boston was it was just kind of a no brainer because my husband's parents had raised Boston's for a while. I mean, they were they were just pets, unregistered, you know. But um, he really liked the breed. I really liked the breed, Um, and we had little kids, so Boxers were a little bit. were a little bit big and rough for them. Uh, you know, they kind of knock them over in all their exuberance. And though I loved the breed, it was it was a little bit too much for having little kids running around. Um, so when we did decide to get a dog, we didn't go back to the boxer. We went to um, the Boston Terrier. And uh, since I had uh, done a lot of uh, training and showing in the past. I did want to eventually get into showing dogs and I started out just uh, on my own and I didn't have a mentor or anything, which you know, was not the most ideal way to start. And so I just picked out some dogs that I thought were cute. You know, I, I I like their heads or I, you know, I thought they just had a cute look to them. And so that's how I originally got my females. So, you know, they're just kind of backyard bred. Um, uh, girls and, and, um, I was fortunate enough to, um, uh, be able to breed to a local stud that was showing. Uh, and that gal took me to my first shows and, you know, kind of taught me a little bit about how the show ring worked. And, and of course I liked that. Um, that kind of went right along with what i did before with horses. And so I was, I was hooked, but I had little kids at the time. So, um, uh, so I just showed a little bit here and there locally, um, and then after after a while, I I bred um, my girls for a little bit, never got anything, you know, overly fantastic, um, I wanted to get more into show lines, and I had um, Marsha Terry from DeMar bonds I talked with her, and she looked at my website, and she looked at my pedigrees, and she looked at what I had, and she was very blunt, very honest, and, you know, I am deeply grateful that she was because she said you're the girls that you have have nothing to offer the breed um as far as pedigree you know they they really don't have anything to offer and, and um you know i wanted to i wanted to do well i i wanted to have nice dogs i wanted to show and i wanted to do right uh, by the breed so although at first i was a little resistant and a little bit hurt because of course that you know everybody loves their dogs they think they're the most beautiful things in the world and and i thought i'd done a good job picking them out but i really didn't know you know confirmation or anything yet so you know over the course of the next few months i i gradually placed them and and she was very um generous and very trusting with me and and placed a very nice well-bred um little female puppy with me that um, she had a smudgy nose so she couldn't show but she was you know well put together very well bred and um, she was part of my foundation Um, and when I had bred out uh, one of my other girls to this this nice local stud that had been showing I did get a nice female back that I had held back Um, and that ended up being one of my first uh, show dogs and she actually ended up being one of my foundation dogs as well, um, and I, I kind of built from her, um, as well as this other one that Marsha had placed with me. Um, I eventually was able to um, get to champion uh, Boston studs. One was um, more my foundation than the other. Um, I didn't hold back as, as uh, much uh, pedigree-wise from the other stud, but I, I did hold back um, a really nice uh, son of the first one and, and that was that was basically my foundation from there I started really getting into um, showing and and um, of course health testing you know uh, Marsha when she sent that, um, that puppy to me she had already had her eye test done she'd already had a preliminary patella check done she'd already had her bear test done um, parents were JHC negative so that gave me a very good example and a very good you know um, a foundation and, and something to follow you know from moving forward as far as what I did with my own dog so um, I was I was very thankful first of all for her to give me the trust that she did because it was very hard to find nowadays um, a lot of people breeding for the wrong reasons and it's. Um, it's a little bit scary placing your lines with people that you don't know. So I really appreciated that that trust that she gave me, and and um, the bloodlines that she entrusted me with, as well as the example of of doing the right health testing right from the start. Um, I mean that, that's kind of my um, my start in the breed. I've you know I've done quite a bit since then as far as um showing and really getting involved in the education piece and, and um uh, being involved in some of the the issues with the breed such as color breeding and and with uh a lot of the uh misconceptions about the breed you know I, I do a lot of online educating and and um you know correcting of misinformation and um you know that's that's an ongoing thing because of course there's always stuff floating around that's incorrect <laughs> mm-hmm. you know once once a couple of people say something online um then it becomes fact you, you say it in a big enough uh forum and um then all of a sudden it's it's law you know as far as some people are concerned so that's that's always a battle you know trying to uh get the right information out so that people have the you know accurate view of the breed what it's supposed to be what its uh history is and all of that so um, it's an ongoing thing. Could you talk about the history? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, the Boston is, it's a, they have a pretty cool history because, you know, being the first breed that was created in America, you know, at the very beginning when AKC was first getting going, um, it was kind of the first of its kind to, you know, be bred in the U.S. and, and kind of the first created breed to be accepted everything else was established and imported from overseas and so this was this was a very new thing and and uh honestly that the purebred breeders at the time that were you know importing their dogs the, the english bulldogs and and um uh, the bull terriers and you know the, the dogs that actually went into the breed those that were the preservation breeder uh, breeders of those dogs you know considered the the Boston Terrier mongrel, you know, Mm -hmm. they were just disgusted that they were creating this new breed and and, um, that they were going to be accepted. Um, So it was, um, it was pretty interesting. Um, It started about 1965 when um, a dog was imported called Judge and he was, he was called uh, Hooper's Judge because it was Robert Hooper that had, um, that owned him. And he was a little bit more bulldog type. He was um, about 32 pounds. He was uh, like a dark brindle. Um, and he is basically the, the foundation um, of the breed. Um, they began breeding him to um, other, you know, bulldog uh, and uh, English terrier crosses. That was really big at the time, was the English bulldog and the English terrier um you know the, the bull terriers were were really big um they were mainly used for um you know like pit fighting and stuff like that that was of course was huge at the time um and in fact um judge said that his his sire was was a really you know big time fighting dog um the Boston itself was never bred for fighting it was that was never supposed to be the purpose you know there may have been people you know fighting them you know, in their barns or, you know, they they may have been breeding for that purpose. But as far as as what the the written standard is, as far as what the creators of the breed had, you know, um, set the dog up to do, it was never to be a fighting dog. But of course, that was big at the time. So the foundation dogs originally um, may have had those, you know, that background. But um, so they began um, breeding and doing a lot of inbreeding. Um, with judge and um from there they began bringing in imports to to bring the size down a lot of people think that the boston was this you know 40 50 pound dog but actually you know Hooper's judge was one of the the smallest, he was about 32 pounds. Um, and they bred him to smaller bitches from there. So in like 20, 28, 22, those were some of the first ones that he was bred to. And then they wanted to bring the size down even more. So they did import some dogs um, with, you know, they were, they were more terrier type. They're a little bit smaller. Um, and, you know, those dogs ranged from, you know, like 12 pounds to, to around 20 pounds. And so they, they bred them down a bit more. Um, and then from there, they, they, um, developed the, um, developed the registry in, I think it was 1890 that they got together and decided, Hey, we're, we're not getting recognition in the rings. They, they weren't really, um, some of them would go in and show with the bull terriers. Um, eventually 1888, they had, um, a class, the round headed bull terrier where they could actually, you know, show the, the Boston terrier in, which was not called the boston terrier at the time they were called the brownheads or um or american bull terrier and um so they weren't getting much recognition the judges really would look at it when they were in with the other bull terriers um so they were finally getting their own class they finally did you know they were uh, pushing towards getting the breed accepted around 1890 Um, and at first they wanted to call it the american bull terrier um, and that was too close to you know the other bull terriers in, in name and they were originating in boston so you know they they settled on the boston terrier um and in 1893 is when they were first accepted um and you know from there they they really took off and um you know was, you know the all-american breed the american gentleman of course is their nickname and and i think part of it was you know we talk in the old history books about how rather than the big kennels kind of monopolizing the show ring success because this was a like a new breed uh, a small breeder you know a a backyard breeder anybody could be successful at it because they hadn't nailed down the consistency yet there wasn't you couldn't go out and buy all the top dogs and just you know monopolize it and get all the top winnings you know people that were just breeding in their backyards were getting nice dogs as well that that um were good representatives and so it was something that um anybody could be successful at and and there weren't imports because it was an american breed so um you know it was it was something that's you know just hobby breeders could get involved in and um so you know that made it really popular and of course it's it grew from there i mean everybody Everybody's grandparent had a Boston at one time. It seems like mm-hmm. you take a Boston anywhere, and and they're going to say, "Oh yeah, my grandma had one. My grandpa had one." Like they, you know, they called them the Boston Bulls. You know, I, I know it's a, a nickname that they used a lot in in the early days. But um, it seems like you know everybody used to have a Boston Terrier. It was it was such a a popular breed, and and they really um, they really did a good job within. I would say about twenty years or so getting the look that they were going for. You know, everybody refers to the first Bostons back from, you know, the the eighteen sixties or eighteen seventies and saying, Well, you know, this is what the original dog looked or the original Boston looked like. But it was kind of a mishmash at start. So you had a lot of different types of dogs that were put into the breed and then for the next twenty years they were trying to breed the dog to fit the standard or fit fit the vision that they had and so you look at the dogs from the 1920s they look nothing like the original dogs now they've got this you know this nice sharp looking show dog with this neat clean head with the short nose and, and the cropped ears and and you know a nice little square smart looking dog you know is is what they ended up with and they did that pretty quickly um and it's it's remained fairly consistent although you know the nose in some cases is a little shorter i still see bostons that look like you know they could compete in the 20s I, I look at some of these old pictures of the some of the first show bostons and they're very much resembling what we've got in the ring today you know if you've got some extremes but you also have you know bostons are a little bit more moderate as as far as the brackies go um and they've they changed the standard very, very little over the years, which is nice they they um the b t c a really preserves the original vision of the Boston I feel um and doesn't just you know go with the trends or go with you know what a few people in the club would like it to switch to you know they're they're very very careful about not changing the standard or you know not altering anything from that original um Vision of of the breed. Yes, um, the the standard is um, the Boston Terrier is a, a series of squares. Um, it's a, it's supposed to be a, a square dog with a square head with a square muzzle. It's it's um, somebody had commented on it, it being a box on a box on a box. You've got you've got a, a square dog with a square head, the square muzzle within that um, in And that is, that sums up a lot of it. Um, It's a a balanced little dog. It's not a dog um, of extremes. They're not way over-angulated. They're not, there's nothing really exaggerated about them. They're just a nice, neat, um, you know, little dog, very balanced. um, Moving with a a nice free shoulder. Um, They're very much a head breed uh one of the biggest um uh, uh characteristics of a boston is the big round dark eyes um they what do they call it the um the god love expression expression is that what it is um anyway i probably got that wrong but um it, it's the big round dark eyes it's it's the the intelligence and um and, and they're a lively little dog, you know, that's one thing that the standard says, it's, you know, it's a lively breed, and they are, they're, they're clowns, they're fun, um, uh, their personality is a lot of the standard, um, you know, they're, they're not afraid of, um, not afraid of things, they're not shy, they're not, they're confident, but they're not aggressive, um, they'll you know curl up with you on the couch and then they'll run and play ball you know the next minute so you know it's a very good all-around family dog um but uh um you know in general it's it stayed very much the same um as as far as the standard goes over the years the nose has always said that the nose is short um the muzzle is short um the muzzle is square and that's that quite honestly that's going to give more room for a good bite for more room for teeth um you know you you uh, um you look at the muzzle and, it, and it's interesting you'll you'll get some that'll be a little bit longer and you end up with with the under bites, you end up with crowded teeth. You have that nice square muzzle, and you're you're going to have more room for teeth. You're going to get the better bites. There's a lot of things that go into the head that are going to um, just give you a better dog all around. Um, in general, just the the angles, the the balance, all of it gives you a nice. Um, I don't. I don't I, they're not a performance dog. They're not a working dog, but they're still an athletic dog. Um, they have. They tend to have less breathing problems than some of the more extreme dogs. I know they, they get lumped into the bracky category like a, like a lot of dogs do. Um, but, you know, kind of like the chin and the affin pincher, they don't typically have the same issues with BOAS that some of the more extreme breeds do. And, you know, and, and even in those breeds, the well-bred dogs... Um, can be athletic as well so the the Boston tends to suffer from BOAS a lot um, less than some of the other breeds and I think part of that is um, um, is that they've got a cleaner neck they're they're not as thick as some of the other breeds and that that definitely does help the airways as well. And I've probably be going down a completely different rabbit trail, but I'm no, <laughs> thinking of all the different aspects of the breed, and, and that just what comes—that's what comes to mind as far as the positives. Yeah, no, that's perfect. Um, the height—they don't really. Although it's—it's it's interesting. You go into the AKC website, and they're going to list. They they list a specific height. However, as far as the standard goes, there's no height. Um, there's three weight categories, there's under 15 pounds and that go down to, there's no minimum. Mm -hmm. However, once you start getting down too small, you lose the bone. And so you're starting to get these little refined spindly dogs and they start to move out of standard if they get too small. So if you've got a 12 pound dog, it should still be substantial enough that it's not this little spindly thing. It should it should still have good bone and it should still um, be in proportion, you know. And the the same um, I can't see the same bone bone as a sixteen pound dog, but it but it should be proportioned like a sixteen pound dog would be. So you've got under fifteen pounds mm-hmm. with no minimum, but they still need to maintain that type. Um, and then you've got uh, fifteen to twenty. And then you've got twenty to twenty-five. So there's the three different weight categories, and and there's no um, there's no height as far as that goes. But if a dog is going to if a dog is correct, it's square. You know, for a Boston, it's going to be square. So the height doesn't matter as long as your dog is pr- in proportion and, and is square. And that's kind of the, how they determine whether or not that dog is too tall too short you know is it the legs are too short and the body's too long well then it's out of proportion and it's going to get knocked down if it's a nice square dog doesn't matter what height it is if that makes sense yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) okay if i'm doing it right it should be the same as what the standard says i shouldn't have any um any preferences and there shouldn't be preferences as far as what we breed we should always just breed as close to the standard as we can but that's hard to not have your own preferences. Um, I see certain weaknesses in the breed or certain trends and I try to do better in my program that way. So, um, like for me, a really good front is important. Um, there's a lot of fronts that are very, very straight. That's something that's been in the breed, you know, a long time. And so, um, you know, I, I try to have a better front in my dogs. Um, a great breeder has, mentioned one time that that is something that is recessive so if that's something that i can you know solidify as much as possible that's something that i can move forward and, and hopefully count on in, in um, future breedings um disposition is definitely um you know th- a big big thing as, as far as what I want in my breeding program because if you this is a companion dog this is not you know like a, a kennel type dog so you want to have a dog in your house that you can get along with really well you know they've got to get along with each other they can't be you know bonkers over things they can't be too reactive to things I mean they should be easygoing. they should get along with each other they you know should be good all around um um, nice dog to have around with, you know, your, your kids, your people visiting, um, you know, and with other dogs. So that's one thing that I, that I really watch is if I can't live with that dog, I don't want it in my breeding program because it's, you know, it's, um, that's, that's not what I, that's not what I want, I want to produce. Um, I like a typey dog. Um, I like the nice big round eyes. Um, I like a, flat nose but i i don't like an extreme face and that's not to say i haven't had a range of all different you know types of heads over the years um but i like a i like that classic boston head i like the big round eyes um you know i i I do like a short nose but i am very um very aware of the breathing issues and i'm not going to breed a smashy face to a smashy face unless they have fantastic, um, airways. If I've got one that's lacking a little in that area, I'm going to go to a good airway rather than go to the extreme face. Um, and I always tell people, you know, I'm, my breeding program is a work in progress. I, I'm not done yet. You're never done breeding, but, um, I see certain things in the dogs that I've held back and I see things that are, that are very strong, that I want to solidify in my program. So, you know, I may overlook a some other things and figure, okay, well, I'm going to fix that in the next generation, but this is what I want and this is what's hard to get. And so I'm going to keep this on this bitch or on this stud, um, you know, in order to try and solidify that. So I've, um, maybe I'm taking the long way around sometimes. I don't, you know, as people just go out and, and, um, and just, you know, completely call something that's, that's not, um, you know as close to perfect as what they think it should be um but i you know I maybe take a little bit longer and try to solidify something so then the future i can count on certain traits in my dogs um and hopefully can you know continue that um and with this breed it's it's so varied as far as the size i've got one that's you know a cute little 13 pound uh bitch and and she's you know she's got great type she's a she's a nice looking little girl and then i've I've got this one that's this male that's 24 pounds that i absolutely love so it's um the breed itself is there's a wide variety of size although the type should remain the same you know it's um it can be quite a range you're not going to get these cookie cutter dogs And, and that's one thing with the breed in general Is we do have an issue with consistency, Um, despite the fact that they were able to keep the breed consistent for so many years and to to help kind of pin down the type in the first twenty years. um, Here we are, you know, a century later, and you can still breed you know, two dogs and come up with something, you go, where the heck did that come from? That looks nothing like either parent. It still happens. So, um, you know, we're, we're always battling that and always trying to get that consistency. And I don't know if it's because it's, you know, so much, uh, but it's a young breed. I mean, compared to, you know, like a, a poodle, which has got, you know, centuries behind it of consistent breeding. You've got something, you know, the Boston is hundred years old and, and has quite a range of sizes and has quite a varied background um you know as far as their origin so it's it's sometimes very interesting to, <laughs> to mm-hmm. come up with something that that just um is not what you're expecting um but uh, that, that's just part of that's just part of the breed is there much difference in say the kennel club in the uk and the fci and standards um well it's it's interesting that you see sometimes you see a certain type overseas now of course right now in certain countries they're pushing for the longer noses so um you go to germany and the judges are awarding um bigger dogs with more tail with with longer noses um and (sighs) What's frustrating, and I know it's frustrating for some of the breeders over there, is that they're just kind of doing this, despite the fact that the BTCA is, you know, this is where the breed originated. This is the standard for the dog. It should be what every country uses worldwide, because that is the Boston Terrier. Um, in some countries, they're kind of um, some are interpreting it different, or or not so much interpreting, but just taking it to a different place because of the push. Um, for the longer nose brackies. So um, even though the the you know standard doesn't say it's, um, you know, a longer nose, they may award a longer nose, which pushes the breeders to breed a longer nose more to be able to get the titles on their dogs, which is um, in my opinion, it's a little screwed up. <laughs> um, in some of the other um, some of the other standards overseas, it will say, that the nose needs to be a minimum of one-third the length of uh, of the skull. And in the AKC and the BTCA standard, it is, um, it is no more than one-third um, of the skull. So right there, we've got a tweak in the standard that is changing the breed itself in certain areas overseas. So... That's a little frustrating because you can breed a very, very good airway um, in a Boston. You can breed good nares. You can breed, um, you know, a, a, you can breed out the narrow tracheas, which we don't have that much of a problem with, like like other breeds. Um, you know, the elongated soft palates, You breed that out. You can breed a nice clean neck and a, and a nice airway without making that nose longer. It's it's really just a superficial. Uh, what they consider a fix when it's actually not a fix so that can be a little bit frustrating I, you know i a lot of us have performance dogs dogs that do fast cat um dogs that do agility um and run absolutely fine with perfectly flat faces and then you can have these long-nosed bostons that still have to have near surgery or they still have to have a surgery for elongated soft palate so um you know it is a little frustrating, that you see some of these changes overseas that really are not necessary when the dogs are well bred um as as far as type in general outside of that push for the longer nose um i tend to see a lot of over white dogs overseas um in europe um like the white coming up the back legs so you you know they're probably more likely to get some white-headed puppies or partially white-headed puppies or just overmarked puppies. Um, you see a lot of overangulation overseas, and and I don't know if it's because of this, but you see a lot of people running their Bostons around the ring when actually you should be able to just do a fast walk with your Boston when you're showing it. That's that's the, the speed that they should be gated at, that you see a lot of people running their dogs and that it could possibly be because... They're so over in the rear, they've got to get them out and moving to kind of cover up the fact that they maybe don't move right with, with all that extra going on behind. Um, I do sometimes see heads that don't have that same Boston type that a lot of them have here in the U.S., um, we see a lot of down noses um, in Europe, um, and that's not to say everybody, that's just to say I, I tend to see a few more of the smaller eyes, you know, the lower noses, um, just not the same expression in in some of the dogs over there. Um, but then there are many, you know, breeding programs that are doing a very good job of, you know, keeping the type consistent with what we have here in the U.S. I've seen that in other breeds, and honestly, I'm, I'm pretty disgusted by it because what I see are people that are focused on making a nose long and they they don't look at the rest of the dog as far as confirmation and you'll see these dogs that are just a conformational mess and these people get applauded for making a, a longer nose and it's like my gosh this dog is going to have you know spinal issues or it's or it's going to have luxating patellas or something because they completely forgot the rest of the dog um in pursuit of a of a long nose so i i've seen just some conformational wrecks as a result of this so um I, i'm really hoping that it's not happening in the boston i don't see very much of that but you you do tend to see a lot of the longer noses in the disqualified colors um and what we have found has happened in a lot of cases is you've got um people that have mixed in other breeds in order to get the color um when something is very marketable and very profitable of course like any fad um some people take shortcuts that's not to say everybody did or not to say that people are are even aware that it's back there but um you know you, you know for a fact that there were profit motivated breeders who just went well i can you know breed my gigantic blue or red pitbull to a boston i get the same markings i can get a nice big litter i can get it free whelped um and i can get the color immediately um the, so what you find a lot of times is is the bosses that have that are off-colored or that have that in the background, you see a lot longer noses. You see the the floppy ears. Uh, we're seeing a lot of tails, which, you know, the tail was bred out a long time ago, and now we're seeing bostons with tails. And even in rescues 20 years ago, you didn't see tailed bostons with long noses and floppy ears. So there's – unfortunately, there's been a change in type with – with the more backyard bred Bostons, um, there's, there seems to be um, a wider and wider gap as far as the type between the two and you, Go on a forum, and and somebody will take a dog that's that's clearly a mix, or you know, it's got to have something in there. Hey, it's you know, it's forty five pounds. It has a long nose. It's got floppy ears. It's got a long tail, but it's got the correct markings. Hey, is this a Boston? There, because oh yeah yeah, that's a throwback. Yeah, that's a Boston. Well, you know, we didn't have Boston's that look like that twenty years ago. Um, so there's there's really been a shift in the breed, and and so you do see the longer noses, um, and a lot of. Breeders will say, well, I'm breeding a longer nose because it's better for breathing, um, which, you know, not necessarily true. I've seen long noses that have had to have surgery. So, um, you know, kind of within that that group, you see changes in the breed. Um, but typically people will say I'm breeding longer noses because that's what they have. You don't see too many people taking the short nosed Bostons and saying, I think I need to elongate this nose on these dogs to make them healthier. It's usually, well, this is what I already have. And so this is what I like about them. And this is, you know, what I'm going to continue with, if that makes sense. Can you talk about the colors of the Boston and what's standard and what's out of standard? Yeah, the, the standard, um, is black and white brindle and white um, and seal and white, and you can also have like black with brindle, which like in a boxer would be called a reverse brindle um, or you can have seal with brindle, so you can have you know a pretty dark almost solid dog and have a few little brindle stripes, and that's acceptable as well so you can kind of mix between those those three colors different um back when the the braid first started. Uh, the first standard said, "all colors; semicolon, brindle, and then it, it described the markings." Um, there's some um, controversy apparently on whether or not it meant any color brindle, and if that semicolon was actually supposed to be there, um, or if it was any color, and then it said brindle evenly marked with white. So. It, there is some confusion there but at the beginning there were other colors there were blue there was blue there was red or, or liver and blue they called mouse um and uh there there was what they called buckskin whether that's fawn or whether that's cream I'm not sure just you know kind of a light color but originally it was brindle only there was no black there was no seal um it was just brindle um once they Once they changed that, at the very beginning, it was any color, and then brinkly marked was what they wanted. Um, And then they said it was just brindle. That was it. Um, Then eventually, it was probably, I don't know, 30, 40 years later, they said, okay, well, you know, black is allowed as well. What they found is you breed brindle to brindle too long, and you're going to get washed out. And so they had to bring the black in to keep the brindles um, a rich color Mm. um and what they find is as well as they were just they were also getting black so um it it just needed to be part of the breed and eventually they um they separated out seal it's not that seal wasn't um accepted it's just that seal was kind of a part of black um so you take a a black looking dog out in the sunlight and you get a little bit of that red tint Mm -hmm. you know otherwise it looks black well that's that's your seal. So um, they basically just further defined, you know, the difference between black and steel when they allowed seal in. Um, so there, there were very few colors as far as, um, you know, what what anybody heard about or, or knew about over the years until about 2005, roughly, maybe 2004. And all of a sudden there was a big color fad you you suddenly saw a ton of red bostons um and then the blue bostons after that and then the fawn bostons and it was um they sold very well um it was it was a big you know kind of a money-making fad for some breeders um some were very excited about this because it was something new it was different and I think a lot of breeders at the beginning were under the impression that the colors were going to be accepted into the Boston Terrier because oh, there were so many, there's all these new breeders. Now we can, you know, you can um, color test and, and breed for specific colors. So there was there was kind of this big boom of colored Bostons. Um, within that, um, there was clearly some mixing going on. I, I saw a lot of these early Bostons that they did not look. Boston, there was, you know, clearly Frenchy mixed in, uh, Pitbull, um, uh, Chihuahua in some cases. You, can, you could just see the characteristics of the different breeds depending on what color it was. So, um, even though some of the colors can naturally happen, for them to happen in that um, volume all at once was not possible. Um, and so, unfortunately... You know here we are 15 years later there's no telling what and where the color came from and whether or not that was naturally occurring whether it was added in Um, so it's it's been very frustrating I think for the preservation breeders to see the changes in breed type to see these characteristics of other boss or or of other breeds within our breed in the pursuit of color Um, when you a breeding program off of a marketable color you're picking your puppies at birth from color as well so as far as confirmation as far as health as far as disposition a lot of those things suffered under breeders that had that color focus um so it's it's been frustrating um you know i don't think uh, most of these breeders really intended anything negative for the breed you know they, they love the the Bostons, just like anybody else, um, they're excited about the colors. They they probably didn't know what they were up against as far as trying to get the DTCA to change the standard. That's that's not going to happen for color. Um, they're very, very uh, um, committed to keeping the Boston, um, you know, the, the way it's been for the last, you know, century. And so you're not going to see them giving in to adding the colors in especially when there's been such a shift in type and in quality um with the color population coming in that um you know it's it's not going to happen and it's 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 unfortunate for some people that we're really excited for them to be accepted and to be showing them and to you know see this big change and be you know kind of be on the forefront of something really new when you know i think unfortunately a lot of them were or sold a line, as far as that goes, um, uh, you know, for something that just wasn't going to happen. Um, yes, um, like I mentioned before, the ju- the juvenile hereditary cataracts uh-huh. or JHC, um, that's the most common test that that is done with all breeders um and part of that is because it is a it's a convenient mail-in test you do the you know the cheek swab and you mail it and you get your results um it's very easy for every breeder to do um it's it's very important because we um that's something that popped up in in the breeder. actually it was i don't think it popped up in the breed i think it was just in the breed for so many years until they finally weren't able to get a test for it and then you know thank heavens they could finally have a way to eradicate it and now jhc um in most cases you just you don't hear about um affected dogs anymore at least as as far as show dogs what i hear you know you don't hear about affected dogs there is the occasional carrier that someone might use in a breeding program but they're used very very carefully um so um, you know, that's, that's something, thankfully, that's a, that's a big improvement and a very important test. Um, and in the care test, or used to be called surf test, um, you know, that is an annual eye exam. And with, with the cataract issue with the Boston's, it also checks for several other um, problems as well. So that's something that a lot of the, the typical breeders, you know, non-show breeders will skip because they think JHC covers all cataracts or that that's, that's the eye test that they need to do. This is something annually that, that checks um, for other types of cataracts. Um, there's and um, also checks the progress of it. So if you've got um, a dog that's three years old and and they're getting these these cataracts that are you know progressing at a at a you know very quick rate, and the dog is you know going to be blind by the time it's six. Well, that's useful information to have in your breeding program. You don't you don't want to be breeding. Um, those lines if that's what's happening um if you've got a dog that is seven eight nine years old and they still have clear eyes that's fantastic that's what you want to keep in your breeding program um anything over seven that is still has clear eyes is great um with the boston terrier you've got a 10 year old with clear eyes and that's that is gold right there i mean you, you, that's something that you want to keep in your program so that it's really important information for you to have um and very important for you to continue checking because if you you know if you're breeding this dog and it's three and all of a sudden these you know cataracts crop up and they're you know uh rapidly um growing you definitely want to screen that out um and then with uh um and then uh bear testing is um, for deafness in the Boston Terrier, which is suspected to come from the English White Terrier. Um, the, there's a theory that there's two different kinds of deafness. Now, there isn't enough information to really tell one way or the other. However, with a lot of breeds, if there's too much white on the head, um, then the inside of the ears do not develop properly. The, the sound conducting hairs in the inside of the ears, if they don't have pigment and they die off, that can cause the dog to be deaf by the time it's about six weeks old. Um, so you want to watch the blue eyes and the excessive white on the heads. Um, and so testing your excessive, you know, your overmarked Boston's is very important, but there's also, you know, deafness in dogs that are perfectly marked that have perfectly marked dogs, you know, for five generations back, no blue eyes, nothing like that, no excess white. So, um, you know, there's a theory that that we've got also, you know, a hereditary deafness that is unrelated to marking. So um, it's very important that you're you're checking all of your breeding dogs, bear testing them to make sure that you're not passing on a hereditary um, issue as well. Um, as, as far as deafness and then uh, the patella check is very important to have the patellas OFA Um and you want to have those periodically done because if you you know if you're great at a year but then at, you know three or four years old they're slipping not as not as solid then you know that's good information to have as well and you may want to take that dog out of the breeding program um, so that's that's the bare minimum so um, as far as getting your chick from OFA um, that's that's what you're going to want to have done. Um, beyond that, um, the uh, cardiac testing is important as well because there are um, some heart issues with the Boston breed, so you, you want to know if you're getting any uh, murmurs uh, cropping up in your dogs. Um, also, you can do trachea and spine. Uh, we don't have as many issues as, say, the Um, the French Bulldog or or other breeds. Um, So you typically don't find too many issues with that, um, but that's additional testing that you can do. I mean, of course, you know, you can do hips, even though hips typically aren't an issue. So you can continue on with with additional testing, but um, those four are the main. Um, I add on, you know, the heart as well um, in my breeding program. And then um, for some really weird reason, DM popped up. Um, as an issue in the Boston, and uh, that's a whole other story. But it's actually not an issue in the Boston. It was added on by a bunch of the testing labs to, um, to over a hundred breeds, um, and it's been quite a moneymaker. But it's not something that is actually an issue in the Boston Terrier breeds. But you'll see a lot of um, a lot of the non breeders doing dm testing um also for some reason huu is coming up and again not an issue in the boston terrier but for some reason it's popping up with the labs that are doing the swab testing as a boston terrier issue so you'll see these things tested for as well but it's it's really not a problem in the breed, and it's kind of um kind of odd to see them popping up saying I'm testing for this, this and this, but not for the main things that they really should be testing for um but the swab tests are very very easy the other ones require you know um finding specialists and and it's a lot more research and sometimes a lot of driving um sometimes it's hours away you know that you're going to be able to find a specialist to do bear testing or care testing so you know I understand it is a little bit more difficult to do that but um You know, that's that's kind of the breakdown of what you see as far as the testing and what's actually important as as far as testing in the breed. Um, I'm fast cat. I'd like to get into some of the others, but I quite honestly with with running a business. I haven't had a whole lot of time to do any other training. Um, not a whole lot of training is required to get my dog to run after something in the grass. So that, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that was easy. Um, but I did have a a male that I titled in fast cat. And, and right now, I think I've only got one other that really has that, um, that drive where they, where they're going to want to chase something. I think the, you know, the rest of mine, I'm not sure that they would go after, (laughs) um, that quite as readily as, as these others. Um, but, um, and, and interestingly enough um the the one that i had titled and the other one that i feel would do really well at it um they're out of the same dam that kind of has that that has that drive you know so it's I, it's it's in the lines i think The wonder wanting, wanting to chase after something but um you know I'd, I'd like to do some more fast cat with them i'd love to do you know some uh barn hunt um i have no pool so i have no ability to practice for dog diving <laughs> um but but i'd love to get into the barn hunt and, and do some more um, fast cat and, and lure coursing with with mine so um I, I don't know that i have the time to do as much training as required you know for agility and things like that but there's there's a lot of breeders that i know that that do that there's a breeder um down in the tri City area, that actually has a um, and I, and I hope I don't get this wrong, but her dog is one of the first ones to be certified in uh, Schutzhund. Oh, wow, um, performance. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool, um, to see her to see her dog do that. It was, you know, it was um, it's pretty neat. So, you know, there's there's a lot that they can do, um, but we're usually, I think, being a uh, companion dog a lot of us are just you know content with doing the confirmation mm-hmm. but there's a lot more that they can if we just take the time to to get out there with them and do it yeah yeah they're right on it. they're they're always ready to play yeah. always ready to go after something if you want them to i've, I've had some lazier than others um mm-hmm. but uh I, I love the ones that just go nuts for the tennis balls yeah. or, or you know just i had um I had one that I could hang a balloon from the ceiling and he just, I'd have to, you know, take it down or pop it or something <laughs> to get him to stop. But he, he would just jump over and over going after this balloon. And that was, you know, it's, I don't know, they're, they're just such clowns. They're so much fun. Um, well, that's, that's another interesting topic with these breeds or with this breed and, and I'm one of the few that has uh free whelping lines, um, my foundation girls, even even the show lines from um, Marsh Terry, was they were free whelping lines, um, and so I have a lot of free whelpers. In fact, most of mine are from those lines. Um, but with the breed itself, you always have to be ready for a C section. I still have you know sections periodically, and I'm always ready for them, and I'm I'm always willing to take them right in if i have any doubts at all um but i am someone who is willing to let them try um a lot of breeders now especially in the u.s will not let them try because um the litters are small um, which a lot of times will make the puppies big um and you can lose a puppy in whelping so when you've only got maybe three puppies and um you know and you're risking losing one of them in the whelping process if you're not sure the bitch has the ability to free whelp you know that's a very scary thing and and i don't blame anybody for taking their dogs in and doing a section voluntarily um the only time i've ever lost a bitch has been during a section and so of course that that scares me because i i you know never lost one in free whelping you know they they have their babies? They're they're perky afterwards. They're energetic. They're great moms when they've been able to do it on their own. You don't have to worry about them, you know, taking their babies' heads off because they're still loopy from from the anesthesia. And and there's just the recovery is so much faster. They don't you know they don't have to heal up. It's um it's just in my opinion it is so much better if they can. But I but I don't blame anybody for not doing it. Now, in Europe, um, in some countries, I believe it's in Germany, if you've got one that has has to have a section, if it has to go in and have a section again, you don't get to to register any puppies out of that Boston anymore because um, they feel that should be removed from the breeding program. Um, A lot of people do free whelp over there. It's something that is a lot more um, valued there than it is here. And... um, Honestly, personally, I wish that weren't the case. I think it's something that's very important to keep in our dogs. Um, I think that a you know free whelping, a good sized litter is. I, I think that's an indication of a of a healthy breed, um, and so it's. I I do feel like we're kind of going down this road of you know these small litters, big puppies, C-section every time. I don't think it's good, but it is something that most breeders are willing to do. A lot of breeders have never even attempted to to free whelp. Um, you know, they're they're afraid to. You know, I don't I don't blame them. Um, and so, some just have never have. They've never tried. Um, and. They, you know, some people will say, "Well, you just take a you know a big bitch and you breed it to a smaller male, or you just breed smaller heads, or you just do X, Y, Z, and, and you're going to fix the problem." But um, they did a study, and um, the the free whelping bitches have a different shaped pelvic opening. It is a big round opening versus more of an oval opening. So if if you've got a line of dogs that doesn't have that that sh- that, that certain shape. Um, of the pelvic opening, then, um, you are going to have dogs that need a section. And, and when you have limited gene pool, when somebody has, you know, maybe bred for years and, and here they've got these, you know, wonderful examples of the breed, you know, are you going to take those dogs and take them out of your breeding program after all that work? Um, because they've got to have sections. Um, you know, it's, i understand that this this is something that is being bred into the breed in a way it's not necessarily great i understand why people don't just want to you know scrap really nice dogs just because they can't free well. And and sometimes you know labor does stop sometimes they have issues that are not just related to you know physically not being able to pass the puppy um so it's you know it's a little bit more of a A tricky breed as far as whelping. I mean, I I love the fact that most of mine can free whelp still. Um, You know, and and sometimes I get crap for it because (laughs) because people feel it's interesting with other breeds when when people with certain breeds have sections all the time they're like oh my gosh i can't believe you do that to your bitches and that's it's horrible and you're you know you're so awful to them but then within the within the boston breed you you let them try to free welp and it's oh my gosh i can't believe you do that to your bitches Mm. so it's it's a it's a different mindset within the breed is it's it's become so um commonplace that not doing it a lot of times people will say oh were you being cheap by not going have, and having a section if I want to go have a planned section I have a very reasonably priced vet that is very very good at doing sections and it costs me a lot less to plan one um, than it is to allow them to try and free whelp and then have to run into the vet in the middle of the night um, and pay them for a section versus my own vet so trying sometimes will cost me three or four times as much Mm -hmm. um so you know it's it's, for me it's it's definitely not about money um but uh you know it's i had um i had a bitch last year that is um you know like borderline record-breaking uh she she is a grand champion herself. We're working on her bronze right now. So from show lines, you know, a lot of times you'll see from backyard lines, you'll see a lot of free whelping, you know, big Bostons that don't have a problem. They have nice big letters, but in show lines, it's very rare. This, this, uh, bitch of mine had 11 puppies free whelped last year and every single one of them was healthy, happy, thrived, um, you There was only, that I could find, there was only one other in show lines that had ever done that. Um, That was back in the 80s. There was another one that was show lines on the top, um, you know, not so much on the bottom. You know, they had a similar litter a couple years ago, but otherwise it's it's practically unheard of. And and, um, I, I had one breeder went, you know, publicly on social media talking about how horrible I was to, um to allow my girl to free well these puppies and she had them probably those 11 puppies it was uh, most of them were within probably six or seven hours I mean she was just boom 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 like it was nothing and then the last couple she took a little bit longer with you know she laid down relaxed a little bit popped up had another one um so it was it was all very textbook. They were healthy, all the puppies thrived. She didn't have any issues. She popped up and, you know, had all sorts of energy afterwards. Wonderful mom. Um but, you know, still there was the why didn't you just go in and have a section that poor you know, that poor girl having all that puppies? Well or all those puppies, well you know, she didn't have to heal up her poor gigantic stomach, you know, didn't have to heal up from a section. She didn't have to wake up woozy and figure out what all these little squirming things were. I mean, it was, it was a perfect delivery as perfect as I could possibly get. Um, so it's, it's very interesting, the different attitudes between, um, but you know, between different breeds and, and within the breed as, as far as how Free whelping is viewed and, and you know, I, my attitude towards it I think is a little bit different, toward, you know, than all, a lot of breeders.